All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for the privilege of studying your word this evening, of gathering together as family in the unity of the faith. Thank you for truth that sets us free, Father. Thank you for revealing to us in time your mercy, your grace, your love, though none of us deserve to be living this life and this great hope that you've given us. Through the gift of eternal life, we are accepting of it and so very grateful for it, Father. Father, we pray for those on the other side of the planet that we've met, that we've established this relationship with in India, that their ministry continue to flourish, that their ministry continue to prosper in the right ways, that they might, through their own labor, out of love for you, bring some to Christ. And whatever degree we're able to support them, Father, we pray that we just follow the Spirit's guidance in doing so. We also pray for those lost in this world, Father, uh, that we might have the divine appointment to evangelize them uh, before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt, to make an evening like this even worthy of celebration. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. And by the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, this evening's message title is uh, Spiritual Gifts. It is the way that I uh, taught it in India a couple of weeks back. Uh, we are going to see what the Bible has to say about spiritual gifts. Um, and just to get you situated, this is what it looked like. This was that village that we went to. Um, and this is a picture of them towards the end of the, uh, the sort of get the gathering, if you would, uh, where everyone was just up and sort of rejoicing, uh, singing as unto the Lord. Uh, that's me in the foreground. Um, so... Again, try to transport yourself to that time. Remember, the Word of God is transcendent, that it's boundless and timeless, as I've been teaching you. Um, and just try to imagine yourself being there uh, with them. On this notion of spiritual gifts, anytime I think of spiritual gifts, uh, it makes me think of something that I taught you years ago, which really was this. It's not what you call your spiritual gift. It's whether or not you accept your calling. It's not what you call your spiritual gift. As a matter of fact, I would argue that whenever we assign names to such things, it becomes a fleshly desire um, to attach ourselves to certain gifts because, you know, they have a certain, I don't know, savvy to them or a certain uh, nice sound to them or just carries a certain weight, who knows, but it's not really important what you call your spiritual gift. Uh, it's whether or not you accept your calling. This is a very important principle for many reasons. Um, for a few here up here on the board, here are a few of the reasons that people become confused. Some spiritual gifts, often the communication ones, are perceived as, quote, better, but they are not. They absolutely are not. Uh, there's a certain authority that comes with some, like mine, 
so be it. It's no different than a husband over a wife in a, in a marriage. The husband's not better than the wife. It's just an authority issue. Um, so some spiritual gifts, often the communication ones, probably because of their public nature, are perceived as better, but they are not. Uh, second, some people decide for themselves based on human reasoning, which causes an awful lot of uh, confusion in their lives and others possibly. And then many people do not study the Word of God long enough before hearing the Holy Spirit's guidance on the subject. We know from Scripture, we'll see it again this evening in 1 Corinthians 12, that God the Holy Spirit uh, is the centerpiece in giving spiritual gifts. Um, but as far as I've seen, many people don't study the Word of God long enough to even have an idea what a spiritual gift is, or that they even exist, or if they exist, what are they? So the last thing you want to be doing is aspiring to some spiritual gift when you you don't have the basics. So up here on the board, as a result of such things, the body of Christ does not function as well as it should. And that's the whole point, as we'll see in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. The body of Christ is meant to function in unity. That's why we pray for a unity of the faith, that we're encouraged by each other's faith along the way. But if you have uh, malfunctioning parts of a body, um, the body doesn't function as it should. And I was thinking about this, and this is what I taught them in India. Just imagine, as silly as it sounds, imagine a human body made up of four ears, but no eyes. I'm serious, silly, right? But imagine. Or a body made up of ten noses, but no ears. Well, that would that'd be a bummer in some households, just saying. <laughs> Or a body with five hearts, but no stomach. These are silly examples, but this is analogous to when the eyes in the body of Christ decide to be ears. Or the ears decide to be noses. Or the stomachs decide to be hearts. When this happens, the body of Christ does not function the way it ought to. And that's the whole point. Uh, that the Spirit wants to make, that we have a certain responsibility to each other in the body, that this unity is found when we adhere, when we abide in the will of the Spirit of Christ. Why would someone who's created to be a, quote, ear, ever attempt to function even as an eye? Seems futile, but the answer's simple, because some people do not submit to their calling. Some people do not submit to their calling. Rather, for ungodly reasons, decide to pursue a different spiritual gift, or gifts plural, than the one the Holy Spirit has intended for them. And just for the record, I don't believe that um, the Bible teaches that we only have one spiritual gift. I think that we can have uh, more than one. Uh, there's nothing that I see in the Bible that says you only have one. I know a lot of people that are good at one thing, and they're also really uh, wonderful encouragers. Or they might be really good at administration and be really good at encouraging or uh, maybe have the gift of helps as well. Um, I think of Scott even. I mean, Scott can teach, but he's also an evangelist. So there you go. <laughs> so 
For ungodly reasons, some people decide to pursue spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit didn't give them. It wasn't intended for them. So let's, before we dig any further into that, let's read what the Bible has to say and what apostle, the Apostle Paul had to say to the church at Corinth. And just as a background on this passage, you should know that this church was not functioning. As is, many, as is the case in many of his letters, he was addressing a problem. He was addressing an issue, even though he doesn't explicitly state it. He was addressing a certain issue, and this is no different. There was an issue in the church at Corinth where the body of Christ was not functioning the way it ought to have been functioning. So the background is that you should know that this church was not functioning the way it ought to because certain members of the body of Christ were not abiding in their calling. Go to 1 Corinthians 12, 1. We'll see the scripture now. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. First Corinthians twelve one. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led, up here on the board. He's guarding against something right out of the gate up here on the board. You were pagans. Paul pointed out that some in the church were mixing paganistic rituals with Christianity. We call that syncretism if you start blending religions. Some were into ecstatics, uh, supposing direct contact with deity. To induce such things, people would get drunk. And now think about Ephesians 5.18 that says, Do not get drunk with wine, that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Remember I taught you that uh, a while back, that that was what God, Paul was guarding against uh, in that passage as well. He didn't want people pretending to be spiritual because they were drunk, because there was, prob there was always problems in the church. People would get drunk, and in the case of uh, Corinth, as you see on the board, even get into like these sexual or orgies and get into this sort of heightened state of ecstasy and think that was spiritual. And so Paul was guarding against that because there were certain religious, religions that that was part of their doctrine. So to induce such things, people would get drunk, partaking in sexual orgies even, and supposing higher spirituality. What you have to remember is that in the early church, there were still remnants of previously adhered to religious practices, as is the case even with some of you. Every so often you'll have an old religious thought pop up in your mind. Think about this. I still have it happen to me once in a while. You'll have an old religious thought pop up in your mind and you might say to yourself, where in the world did that come from? Where did that just come from? How did I even have that thought? And after you ponder it for a bit, you realize that religion has a tendency to maintain tendrils of evil in our souls. Remember, at one point, many of us were steeped in this religion or that religion, and it would be um, silly to think that it didn't have some root system that might take uh, more, than, more time than some might think to get rid of. So they might be old habits or false doctrines or whatever. Well, you can imagine that the early church had all kinds of things haunting Paul's disciples. Verse 2 again. 
You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. That was actually happening. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Up here in the board, something else that he was dealing with. Demons capitalize on paganism. It was quite possible that demons were involved in the so-called ecstatic, quote, spirituality that was infecting the church at Corinth. That's a reference to 2 Corinthians 11, 13 or 15. We'll go there in a second. Some would even blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ. Like, um, you know, say he was just a spiritual guy, like uh, almost like pre-Gnosticism type or Docetism type stuff where Jesus was just this spiritual person uh, or just a spirit but not who he is in all reality. So it was quite possible that demons were involved in all this. Hold your thumb there. Go to 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. So you might say, what do you mean? There were demons in the church? Why would you think there wouldn't be? You don't think demons are, are, are in this church? Probably right now. You don't think demons have come through those doors clinging to individuals who have since left? You don't think that's possible? You need to read your Bibles, my friends, if you don't think that's possible. Look at what Scripture says, 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And you know where they did that? In the churches. That's where. That's why people were giving them heed, because they were coming into churches even. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Duh. If you're going to gain entry into a sacred place, you're not going to come in as a, you know, <laughs> with a pitchfork and, I don't know, painted red. I don't know, whatever you think that stuff is. Verse 15, Therefore it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. So you should never be shocked uh, in thinking that uh, even a little church like this one um, doesn't have demons swarming around or even walking through the front door. All right, go back to 1 Corinthians 12, 3. And you can imagine in the early church with some of the pressures that the church was facing that Paul was having to deal with this, 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit up here in the board. The Holy Spirit will only testify of the Lord Jesus Christ and His will. That's Romans 8, 9 up here in the board. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. Just remember that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And the Spirit of Christ is never going to do anything that's not in complete harmony with Christ himself, with his word, with his mind. Some additional doctrine to think about as well on this up here on the board. And this is some of the stuff that I did not teach in India. It would have been too involved for that group and too lengthy. Spiritual continuity. <clears throat> Remember that the word of God is the word of Christ. And the spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit of God. Therefore, the Holy Spirit will always testify of the Word of God, the Bible. So if the Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God, 
and the Holy Spirit's the one who gives spiritual gifts, what do you think he's going to say about such things? He's going to say, this is what happens. I give spiritual gifts. I empower them. I inspire them. And it's also in the Bible. So there's continuity across multiple fronts, if you would. Therefore, if the Bible says that the Holy Spirit determines spiritual gifts and who receives them to the glory of God, then a believer must accept his or her calling, regardless of how they, or, or others, I was thinking about this, there's a lot of people out there that they may think something, and then others say, oh yeah, go for it. Keep talking. I'm, I have ADD, it distracts me. Go for it, you know, uh, I think this is, I, you know, some person says, I think it's my spiritual gift, and then there's, a, you know, 42 other people. Yeah, totally, you're such a swell guy. You should totally go for it. It has nothing to do with how you feel or what you think is right for you. It has everything to do with the divine design or God's plan for your life, which is included as a member of one big body, which you have no idea how to figure out completely. Up here on the board, spiritual continuity. Only God knows exactly how the body of Christ best works together. Therefore, think about, just think about this. Only God can decide rightly. Only God knows exactly how the body of Christ best works together. You don't. How, do you, how could you possibly know? You can't. Therefore, only God can decide rightly. Let's continue. Verse 4. Verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God. You ready? The same God who works all things in all persons. Yeah, the same God, not the same dude down the street. The same God who works all things in all persons. There are many different spiritual gifts, such as, and again, I don't want you to hang your hat on names, but such as administration, helps, pastor, obviously, evangelist, obviously, teacher, obviously, etc. And there are many spiritual gifts that do not have specific names, at least not in the Bible. I don't care what you call it. Call it the uh, toilet extraordinaire. <laughs> oh, no, seriously, who cares? Just do it faithfully, right? That's the whole point. Whatever he asks you to do, do that faithfully. Who cares what you call it? You want to hey, beef it up, whatever, you know. What do they call it? Church it up. Go for it. Uh, you know. This is why no one in the body of Christ should be preoccupied. That's the point as up to this point in the lesson. No one should be preoccupied with aspiring to a particular spiritual gift. That should be secondary. Your first and primary goal is to hear the Spirit. What does the Spirit want from me? And if you haven't heard it yet, then Relax. Don't rush out. Like I said at the beginning of class, too many people rush out and think, oh, you know, they get all spun up and they're excited and it's not a, it's not a disrespectful thing necessarily. It's, you know, uh, you know, they're excited about the possibility of being giving a, given a spiritual gift. Everybody has one at least, at least. And of course that's exciting, especially as a new believer. But you can't rush out. And if you rush out, it means you're probably preoccupied. Um, and don't do that to yourself because you only hurt yourself. You're probably going to stumble in the end and you could possibly hurt other people along the way. The correct way to discern what your spiritual gift is is to wait on God's timing. And frankly, it may take years. 
but that's fine. Honestly, that's fine. We all have a general calling, right? The Great Commission. So do some of that. Help out with people that maybe have, you know, their own ministries. Like, you know, Michael's out there, Michelle's out there, Scott's out there, uh, Ann's out there. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying they're the only ones. I'm just saying, do that for a little bit. Help out and see what, you know, see what the Spirit says. But here's, the, here's another point. Ill-fated rescue missions. This, one, this one's a big deal because I think it happens a lot. As soon as man decides that God needs his help, he is at risk of putting his nose where it doesn't belong. As soon as you make that error, well, God needs me. You know, look at, look at all the poor people. Or look at all the, you know, people that need this. Or look at this, look at this going on over there. Or look at, you know, this over here. God needs me. No, I don't. He'll use you if you're humble. But if you start in that direction, you got something, you're putting yourself at risk. God has accomplished his will just fine for millennia without your, quote, help. Do not let human rationalism influence your spiritual gifts or how you exercise it or them, plural. Those are ill-fated rescue missions. We believers just need to remember that it is the Spirit of God who chooses both what and when, not man based on his own circumstances or his perceived needs. And again, I'm not saying that this person has a bad heart. Their heart might be in the, quote, right place. It might have a certain sense of uh, sensitivity to needs in others. And that's great. But there has to be qualified what you do. And that's what the Spirit's saying. It has to be qualified because you might step out too quickly. Um, you know that Isaiah 55, 8 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. You know, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is destruction. So says Scripture. So you have to remember that it's not about what you think. It's not about human sensibility, human rationalism. It's about being humble and listening and being patient. I know there's the P word, oh, the big P word. Nobody likes to be patient, especially not in this instant gratification society that we live in. Everything's, you know, you know the, the, the one-minute cheeseburger and the chicken nuggets and the fries. <clears throat> Back to uh, verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, this is another cause for pause <clears throat> here. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Up here on the board, common good. Many perceive common good, but... He, a man can, excuse me, man can, may perceive common good, but he cannot author it. Man may perceive common good, but he cannot author it. How can he, given his limited knowledge compared to the omniscient God of the universe? How do you know what, quote, common good is? How would you ever author it? How would you ever architect it? You see, once you get into that mode, like God needs me, all of a sudden you become the architect. Now he's going to use me, see, because now I've seen it. I think what he wanted me to see is all these needs over here. And now I'll just step in and architect a solution to the problem. And I'll give myself and assign myself certain spiritual gifts to go through this thing. And he's like, no, no, no. You're not the architect. 
you might be able to perceive common good, but you're not the author of it. And that's an important point. God uses all things to work together for good, not man. Romans 8.28, we are merely vessels. Human rationalism has no place in common good. Human rationalism has no place in common good. In fact, strictly speaking, human rationalism is bound to frustrate God's true will for mankind. So all I can say is that if you don a red cape every morning, maybe you ought to start leaving it in the closet with the rest of your superhero outfits in there. You're not, you, God didn't, you know, create you so you could come swooping in like Superman to save the day. Sorry, my friend. Verse 7 again. <clears throat> but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, and here's another key point, just as man wills, mm -mm, just as he wills, up here on the board, God wills, plans, chooses, and enables all spiritual gifts. Of course, because he's the architect. I mean, who's gonna, who's, who, who else is able to do all these things for common good? Who's going to be able to architect and organize and orchestrate harmony in a plethora of, of believers? I mean, who's going to do that in the body except God? So God wills, plans, chooses, and enables all spiritual gifts. Man cannot do these things righteously. He might try, but he's not going to be successful. The beauty is that if God wills it, it will be done. Our attitude must mirror Jesus's, which manifests the phrase, your will be done. Matthew 6.10 is how he told us to pray, and 26.42 is when he actually said it to his own father, to our father. Our attitude must mirror Jesus's, which is your will be done, whatever that is. As we noted in one of our recent lessons, Jesus taught his disciples to always pray this way. Hold your thumb there, go to Matthew 6.10. Matthew 6.10. <clears throat> I mean, Jesus taught us to pray this way, to think this way, to pray that his will be done in our lives, not our own. <clears throat> Just think about that. That wasn't a mistake. That wasn't a little sidebar. Matthew 6.10. He said, pray this way. Your kingdom come, what? Your will be done. That should be all our prayer on earth as it is in heaven. That should be all of our prayers. And he wasn't an empty statement from a vapid um, mediator. He used this same language. This was his personal attitude up here on the board. Matthew 26, 42, he went away again a second time and prayed saying, this is Jesus, my father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Your will be done. This was from our leader, our great shepherd, he said, pray this way. Pray that 
Our Father's will be done. That's what I want. That's what you should want in your own life. Not your will, His will. Okay, look at verse 11. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. Back there. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 12, 11. Again, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as He wills. So, we notice that the Word of God states very clearly that it is the Holy Spirit that decides who receives what gift. This makes sense, too, since He is the Spirit of Christ, and Christ is the head of the body. Just think about that. We're talking about being unified in the body through the use, the amplification, if you would, the enablement of spiritual gifts. Well, it makes total sense that the Spirit of Christ is going to be doing this thing. Our encouragement as believers is simple. God knows best always. Always keep that in mind, that God always knows best. Man left to his own devices cannot decide the things of God. Hold your thumb there. Go to Proverbs 9.9. 9. Proverbs 9, verse 9. <clears throat> Proverbs 9, verse 9. Man left to his own devices cannot decide the things of God. If he tries to, what it is is actually a form of disrespect. It's a lack of fear. Proverbs 9, 9. Give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. How can mere man know all the inner workings in the body of Christ? He cannot. He cannot. Therefore, as the Word says in Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as I've taught you in the past, fear in this passage refers to respect. It is disrespectful to ignore, to take on the burden of deciding which spiritual gift you have in the body. For only God is able to architect harmony in the entire uh, organism. Man must respect the decisions of God. So there might be some contention in your soul. You might say, I don't, I don't want this one. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't really wish pastor on anyone, unless it's theirs. Then I absolutely wish it on them. But I wouldn't, you know what I'm saying, colloquially speaking, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Man must respect, though, the decisions of God, including his divine will regarding spiritual gifts and who receives which. All right, go back to 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Hopefully by now you've got a Maybe one of those little strings or something in there. A marker, because we're going to keep going back. Just in case I forget to say, hold your thumb. Just saying. It's been like four trips already. <laughs> Some people are like, oh, back again? 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. 
So the correct thinking that reveals true godly wisdom regarding spiritual gifts is to understand one basic principle up here on the board regarding honor. No spiritual gift is better than another. That seems to be what Paul is trying to work out in this passage, among other things. But he's basically establishing core doctrines, doctrines regarding spiritual gifts, to refute or to guard against certain issues that were arising in the church at the time. And one of them, uh, the most obvious, or one of the most obvious, is that no spiritual gift is better than another. You see people getting all, quote, ecstatic and saying, I've got the filling of the Spirit. Look at me. I'm special. I'm, you know, blabbering and doing these kinds of things. And I don't expect you to understand because you don't have this gift, you see. And people are making an issue out of spiritual gifts. So no spiritual gift is better than another. In fact, we are all servants of Christ, not ourselves. Our thoughts must be to obey by faith God's will no matter what. I mean, think about it. A good, obedient, diligent servant is so busy on pleasing the Lord that they don't have time to be worried about what other people are doing. Other than the fact that there's certain handoffs that happen, right? Okay, do this, we're all working together, yeah, you know. But other than that, you should be focused on what you, there's enough, am I mistaken? There's enough to focus on as individuals that we shouldn't be worrying about how we do or don't compare to somebody else. That's all the flesh. And it can, you know, that can go downhill if you think that one spiritual gift is somehow better than another. We're all servants of Christ, not ourselves. Our thoughts must be to obey by faith God's will no matter what. We are all originally called to do this at salvation. Look at verse 13. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Paul gives us some wonderful examples to think about, akin to the ones I gave you at the start of class. Look at verse 15. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. Once again, we see the important lesson here, that it is God's decision, no matter what mere man or woman thinks. It is God's decision, no matter what, what mere man or woman thinks. So, my advice to you as your shepherd is do not be baited. Don't be baited into jumping to conclusions. Don't be baited into, you know, choosing one versus another. No man can decide for himself regarding spiritual gifts. Furthermore, no man has the ability to decide for someone else what their spiritual gift is. Do not let others influence what God has spoken to you, even if it agrees with your flesh. In other words, don't be baited by your flesh and others. Don't put on that red cape and say, I'm going to fly to the rescue. And everybody else is like, what a swell guy you are, or gal. You're totally doing the right thing. You're totally going the right way. 
That sounds like a whole lot of flesh to me. For example, as is the case with some spiritual gifts, both the person and others around them agree that they have this or that gift. But it is entirely possible that God has a different viewpoint on the subject. The point the Spirit's making is to beware of falsely encouraging or false encouragement by man rather than God. Beware. Only God knows precisely what is best for the body of Christ. And some might take offense with this, but that is a mistake as well. Go to Romans 9.20. Romans 9.20. Hold your thumb, of course. Just saying. Number five. Some may take offense, but, you know, I'm not interested in um, tickling your ears. I'm not interested in being your buddy, your, your chum, your, your pal. You there yet? Because I'm running out of words. Romans 9.20. On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Who are you? Seriously. Who are you to say, oh, well, I definitely don't have that spiritual gift. I'm not no toilet engineer. Well, maybe you are. Maybe that's your test. Honestly, maybe God knows that you're so flippin' arrogant that you need to be that person. Maybe that's what you need in your life. A little humility. Maybe you're too full of yourself. Maybe you've got all these big plans that you've been pondering for years. Well, God doesn't care about your plans. Matter of fact, he scoffs at them. He says, throw them in the garbage. Those are your plans, not mine. There may be times in our lives when we question God's will for us. We might even become angry or sad about the estate of our lives, confused even. Maybe we are given a spiritual gift that we may not even fully understand at first. You say, what the heck does this mean? What does it mean that I get to function this way? I don't know. Not yet. I Seems like he's pulling me in this direction, but I'm not 100% sure. It's not what I thought, but here we are. Or maybe we chase after another spiritual gift that isn't even ours. In both cases, we must ask ourselves a simple question, and this is a wonderful litmus test that really spans most things in the spiritual life. Is what I'm doing bringing glory to God? If it is not his will, how can it even be? Again, is what I'm doing bringing glory to God? If it is not His will, how can it even be? In other words, how can you claim to be bringing glory to God if it's not His will? Let us consider how Paul makes sense of this for us. Go to verse 19, 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 19. If they were all one member, where would the body be? If everybody wanted to be the same gift and God allowed it, where would the body be? It would be a mess. It would be a bunch of eyeballs or a bunch of ears, whatever it was, whatever the flavor of the day was. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. When members of the body refuse to function in their God-given spiritual gifts, only one thing can happen, division. 
when members of the body refuse to function in their God-given spiritual gifts, only one thing can happen. Division. Some might say, but, you know, and just, you know this happens, right? But, and this happened in the conference, by the way. This was one question. I got one question. I put it to bed quickly with scripture, and that was the last one. Some might say, but I am doing good by doing this or that. And maybe to some degree there is good in their labor. For as Holy Scripture states, God can use evil for good. However, if it is not God's will, their labor may even be in vain. At least as far, now listen, at least as far as the individual functioning out of joint is concerned. You see, that's human rationalism. You say, oh, well, you know, I'm doing this, or I'm teaching that, or I'm saying this, or I'm doing this, and that's good. I mean, there's places in the Bible that says that's good work. Yeah, but if it's not God's will, it's no longer good. The right thing must be done in how? Right way, right? Last time I checked. And God doesn't need our help. He needs us to obey. Let him figure out the overall harmony in the body. So you see, spiritual gifts are just are, are like just about anything in the spiritual life. Let me give you another example that came up in a conversation I had yesterday with someone on the topic of giving. The question was raised, what if I give to a certain cause and that cause turns out to be a farce? My answer is that there are always two sides to the coin. The Bible says this up here in the board, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So for the giver, we know that God loves us when we give cheerfully, when our motivation is good. So as far as God is concerned with the giver, that person receives whatever blessings Jesus alluded to when he said it is more blessed to give than to receive in Acts 20, 35. So if you want to give, then give. As far as God is concerned, your heart's good, right? Then give. And as far as the word of God's concerned, you're going to be blessed in a certain way. Don't ask me the specifics, but Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So give. If you want to give, then give. So that's one side of the coin. But what about the receiver? What if the receiver is dishonorable in the usage of that which they have received? Well, in that case, they will receive whatever discipline God decides to dole out to them. But the point is that these two are very separate issues, for God deals with the individuals. The same goes with spiritual gifts. You ready? The same goes for spiritual gifts. Suppose someone doesn't actually possess the spiritual gift of pastor, but stands behind a pulpit and teaches the Word of God. But they don't actually have the gift. And they're acting like a shepherd. And they're supposing themselves a pastor. Is it possible that people will learn from him? Yeah. For good, God can use something evil for good. 
But shall we assume that God's will is being done in the life of the false pastor? May it never be. Again, the instigating passage is in verse 19. Are you still there, 1 Corinthians 12, 19? Okay. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You've got to remember that God sees what they cannot. For example, perhaps another person, God sees what man cannot see. And maybe this person's out of joint. Let's say they're attempting to function in some gift, and they got that mantra, I'm doing good though. But God sees things that they cannot. For example, perhaps another person, just think about this, this can happen. Perhaps another person has been discouraged from functioning in their spiritual gift because the first person is already doing so. You don't think that can happen? Of course it can happen. I'm thinking of, right now, I'm thinking of all the ungodly people standing behind pulpits of sorts in our local area that shouldn't be. There's a lot. You're nodding your head because you've seen them probably, right? There's a lot. When you're looking for a church, it's hard to find one that's worth its salt. Really hard. Why? Because there's a lot of people standing behind pulpits that shouldn't be standing behind pulpits. What does that do besides divide the body, ultimately? You get a wrong rudder. You get a guy that doesn't, doesn't know the first thing about ruddering a ship, pretending to be a captain. So there's a lot of ungodly people standing behind pulpits in our local area even. And frankly, so many people are deceived. But if they weren't, maybe more of them would find their way to truth, like that which is being taught here at North Christian Church. I'm not claiming we're the only church that's got a real pastor, but I'm saying there's an awful lot of churches out there that don't. And they might argue, but, you know, hey, I have the same Bible you do. Great, but you're not a pastor. First of all, you're a woman. <laughs> no such thing sweetheart, why don't you go sit down? Second of all, you're in it for sordid gain. Third of all, your household's a wreck. Fourth of all, you're a drunk. Fifth of all, you want to fight everybody. You want me to keep going? Should we just go back to Timothy? Or try Titus on for size tonight. It doesn't matter if you're supposedly teaching the word. If God doesn't want you there, he doesn't need you there. He doesn't want you there. These are the things we must think long and hard about, my friends. We do not want spiritual gifts to be a cause for division, only unity. Verse 21. <clears throat> and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. In those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. What if you're a, a, the digestive tract? 
I hate to be gross, but what if you're that person in the body, so to speak? You're less presentable. Well, last time I checked with our digestive tract, you have a big problem. You can't absorb food and nutrients. It's kind of hard to stay alive with a stomach, without intestines. It's kind of hard, right? But I, but I, I want to be the face. I don't mean skin. I want to be lips, luscious lips, little collagen. Pinch them. Pinch your cheeks. I want to be the one everybody can see. I want to be the looker. Oh, stop. We're supposed to give the the vital organs more honor. You know the stuff you can't see. Huh. So, Paul, in his typical fashion, is basically declawing the flesh, which, personally, I love. Those members of the body which deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which has lacked, which, which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Look, the worst thing you can do is start making and taking an issue out of God's sovereign will. You have to, if you got your, if you got your uh, marbles on straight, seriously, I'm not saying don't get black and white and don't get all extreme and then go on the other side and say, well, then, then the guts are more important because you just said it, they're vital organs. Stop it. All I'm trying to say is if you take issue in any part of it, You've already gone too far. There's already going to be division. If the heart says, hey, if I stop ticking, you're all dead. I don't care how pretty you are. So I'm the most important. As soon as you go there, now all of a sudden what? Now you become cocky and lopsided because you're a so-called vital organ? That's not what... Paul's trying to get rid of all of that so that there's no division in the body Unlike man-made traditions and even social castings, and I said that specifically for my Indian audience at the time, because there's a lot of castes, there's caste system there still, we are all equally yoked in Christ Jesus. We are not to sow discord among ourselves just because we have different spiritual gifts given to us by God. That is what the God of this world, Satan, desires up here on the board. One body, one purpose. Rather than injecting human issues into the body, let us seek unity to the glory of God. Verse 26. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. That's how we ought to think. If I'm up here suffering, then you should be suffering with me. Not going, <laughs> no. If you're suffering, I'm supposed to be with you. If I'm rejoicing, be with me. If you're rejoicing, I'll be with you. Let's go through this. That's why, you know, there's this thing called family. That's why I use the word. I don't have to use that word, but I use it because it's true. We're family. And if you're family, you go through stuff together, right? That's what it's all about. You go through stuff together. We're going to be together forever and ever, so we might as well learn how to get along now. I'm just saying. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> One of the most amazing facets of the mystery 
that is the church, is what Paul concludes with in verse 27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Yeah. That's like really cool stuff, isn't it? That's really edifying. It's, it's, um, it's beautiful, honestly. And when we're working together and when we're all marching to the beat of the same drum, not the beat of our own drum, like some like to do, when we're marching to the beat of Christ's drum, then things work the way they ought to. And there's no division. There's unity. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Always remember this. And remember that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Respect his choices. If, if, if you're the, the duster in the church, then love it. Say to yourself, you know what? If nothing else, it's at, there's a certain difficulty in doing what I'm doing because of all the idiots around me that are going, look at this guy. He got stuck with dusting. In that way, do you get it? In that way, there's a certain difficulty that's harder than a, that same layer of existence that might exist for the pastor. I don't have people accusing me of having some lowly gift. It's just the opposite. I have to tell people to cut it out. But then there's the other pole. So that's what Paul was getting at. We ought to give them more honor because they're typically bashed on or looked down on, which is a fleshly issue, not a godly one. But that's the way it is because people are stupid. I'm serious. You don't think people don't come here with their little uh, high school drama? Mm -hmm. Yep, I'm totally the best looking person here. What'd you get in the SAT scores? <laughs> a joke. Seriously. Jeez, I did that in the third grade. You don't think people like that? You don't think people bring that crap to church? You think there's some kind of like holy gateway at the door? People just are like completely washed of their flesh when they sit in their seats. Are you kidding? I've shared this with you in the past and I'll close. And DJ would probably laugh at this too. Um, Honestly, probably the greatest attacks I have ever endured have been from other Christians. Yeah. Always because of some fleshly issue that they've got with me. Nothing to do with God, just some fleshly issue that they have with me. Like, I don't have enough problems. But that's the way it goes, right? It's craziness. But that's not, do you, I was just thinking this off the cuff. I'll take an extra 30 seconds. It's a sad thing. But some of you can attest that, you know, like, um, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. The, the, ba the root word for familiarity is family, right? Familia, family. Some of the greatest wars, some of the most bitterness in anyone's lives happens from within families. Something about being really close that when a flame it, 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 it doesn't stop at a little spark, if it was a friend that did this thing, you'd be like, oh, that's 
BS, and you'd probably forgive him and be done with it because you want to go have beer with him after. But if it's a family member, how dare you challenge me this way? There's like this explosion in the family, right? It's the same thing. That's what I think anyways. I mean, it's the same thing. Once you get that tight, that's why I'm diligent, like super duper duper diligent to nip things in the bud. Whenever I see something in the church, even between two people, that's not me. If I catch wind of it, I might have words with someone say, you know, cut it out. That's going to explode. It's going to be a big old mess. Anyways, remember that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Learn to respect his desires for you and others, and you shall receive blessings in abundance. Spiritual gifts are wonderful blessings. And it is good and righteous for all of you to be excited about having a true purpose in the body of Christ. Be excited about it, the concept. If you don't know what it is yet, don't worry about it. But you do have a purpose in the body. For this is very true up here on the board. We all have a purpose in Christ Jesus. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of studying your word here this evening. Oh, thank you, Father, for making things so abundantly clear. And thank you for building unity in this family of yours. We do this ask for your blessings as we take what we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.